not through the different flavors, but through the different recipe after the, the culture gets it started. It's like the beginning of the cheese, getting it to make it string cheese, say to make mozzarella cheese. At that point, what they then add into ingredients is going to change flavor. It would be similar to, here's a good illustration. It's like beer. <laughs> or like bread. All bread starts with flour. But you can have French bread or you can have you know, white bread. bread, different kinds of whole wheat bread. It's the different ingredients and how and the proportion that you put into it that makes it a different kind of bread. It tastes considerably different. But do you, Alec, do you have any idea about how a cheese manufacturer like Schneider's comes to this one culture to decide this is the culture. There could be multiple cultures that produce different tastes. Are they testing this culture? Oh, absolutely. been done years ago. Do you know how many years ago? Making string cheese now, what, Tom, 25 years? Mm -hmm. So in those early days when they were experimenting and building this, so to speak. But I, I don't think culture determines the flavor as much as it gets it started. That's okay. That's all right. Go ahead, go ahead Alec, because this is important. If they've been making string cheese for 25 years, they've been testing and working with this culture to get it right. Well, getting it right means getting it to the taste or the flavor or the way they want it to be the best. Okay, and then once they have it, then they preserve that formula, right? Absolutely. So that culture, once they've got it nailed down to where they believe that that culture produces a, a cheese that tastes excellent. I would change the word culture, though, to recipe. Okay, recipe. So once they have that recipe down, it's preserved. This is their signature, this recipe. That's Absolutely. them to be a world champion. And then it's able to be duplicated at any time, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, isn't that what any cheese manufacturer or brewer is trying to accomplish, that world-class taste, but it all starts from that recipe, right? That's correct. Okay, so to get up to that recipe, what kind of work do you think Schneider's put in in testing and in, in dollars invested to get to that actual recipe so they could output their signature award-winning Schneider's cheese? Do you have any idea? Could you speculate? If we speculated, we'd probably be just out in thin air there. It would be a guess, Michael, because realistically, I mean, in the production of any new product, it takes a lot of trial and error and guesswork to start with, although they're educated guesses, to arrive at that specific. And you put it into a, into a contest that would be national or local cheese testing. That's when you start seeing what the public likes and what award you win. And Schneider's has done this all, right? Mm -hmm. Heavens, yes. And how long? They've been in business since when? They've been in business over 50 years. Is Schneider's one of the uh, original? The ones that are not the oldest, but they're one of the older ones, yep. yeah. Okay. Tell me about some of the awards they've won over the years. World champion, string cheese. World it, champion, cheddar. And I think I saw on your site, was that 96? or? I believe it was. Yep. Actually, if you look back, there's several years that they've won or they've came won. in second. Yep. They've won you know, many times. Many, many times. And who are they up against in these competitions? Everybody. Everybody who makes string cheese. Okay, so were these awards based on their string cheese only? Right, string cheese and cheddar. They won it for cheddar too. Cheddar test. Presently, they don't make cheddar though. They just make string cheese right now. Well, how many how many string cheese manufacturers are there? Probably fifty. Right, here's an important question: Do your customers and prospects and staff know about what we've talked about—the history, the culture, some of the process of what goes into it, no. all the awards? They don't. No, some do, but mostly no. Okay, why not? To most people, that's not important. To the customer we sell to, the convenience store chain or the uh, sandwich distributor, 
Mm-hmm. They're mostly interested in making money. If it tastes good, that's all they care, and they go out and sell it. Now, they're, if it tastes good and it's uh, it's a good quality product, they feel, it's packaged nice, it looks nice, now can I make money on it? But those sales are driven from the end user who buys it right there at the point of purchase, right? Correct. And and there's, I don't remember what it says on your box. Uh, I looked at the site yesterday. But what I'm trying to point out is there may be a reason for that person when he's up there in front of the, you know, paying for his gas or what have you, and he sees that string cheese and he sees the Slim Jims and the beef jerky, there may be a compelling reason to give them right on that box for him to grab the cheese instead. And that's called a unique selling proposition. That's a reason why. And it takes a lot of work to get to that, but what I'm getting at, I don't know what you have now, but we may be able to come up with something more compelling to get them to, to reach in their pocket and buy your string cheese at the point of purchase. That's good. Okay, because that's what's going to drive the sales, your end user. Give the guy a reason why, when he's paying for his gas, to choose your cheese over the, the Slim Jim. Or sometimes they'll buy both. So. Or sometimes see, both. See, our sandwich distributors, for example, will sell the sandwich and then they'll pick up a piece of cheese that's sitting right next to it go along with it. If we're in the store, people will buy it. I mean, this is our problem is getting into the store, getting the chain to take a look at us as to why they should take this product in. You're calling that a unique selling proposition? Proposition? It's called the USP, a unique selling proposition. It's called a reason why. Now, I, now I'm just looking at it right now from consumer to product. But and we'll definitely talk more about your existing problems of getting it into you know for distribution. That's the reason why someone should buy it. Right. Let's move on. Tell me about your current prospects to sales process. Your market is the convenience store market. Tell me who else is your market? Who are you selling to right now? Well, you talking about the end user now, or are you? Talking no, about I'm talking your convenience stores. Your packaging and where are you shipping these? Shipping to sandwich distributors. Mm-hmm. Let's sell the. The, the cold sandwiches. Okay. We're, we're selling to uh, small little distributors that sell jerky and meat products and cheese. Uh, Are you doing it just uh, regionally? You, we're nationwide. You're nationwide. Mm-hmm. And we sell to the convenience store chains, okay. like the Seven Elevens of the world. But we don't. Not, we do not sell the Seven Elevens. Okay. Do you have any idea what your average closing ratio is? If you could quantify it in a percentage. If you had 10 prospects who call or who inquire, how many of them will end up buying? Or what's the response rate to a, a phone inquiry or marketing efforts? It's probably 50% that have some interest, would you say, Al? Mm-hmm. Or more that have interest. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they may have a competitor's product. Or uh, Actually, I think more of it is, in some cases, it's like we're like this fly flying around their head and they want to give us the time of day. The people who do give you the time of day and make an inquiry, let's say they call the office. Yeah, they don't. We have to call them. Okay. We hardly get anyone who actually is going to call us. Okay, so you're you're doing the proactive. Could you give me an idea if you call 10 prospects, how many can you get to try it at least? We can send samples to and give it a shot. I would say we'd probably get eight or nine of them that will actually take samples and, and take a look at it. Well, that's easy because samples don't cost them anything, right? Correct. All right, how many of those people who get samples will come through with an order? What's a good guess, Al? I would say, and part of this is going to enter into this time factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a year. Yeah. We've, we've had it where I've worked on a guy for a year or longer sometimes before they actually, you know, want to bite the bullet and, and take us on. I'd say we have a real good shot. I think the percentage is higher than I want to give it credit for. I'm going to go low. I'm going to say 30 to 40%. 
someone inquires, you offer to send the sample, you send the sample, then what happens? Do you follow up? Telephone call. Consistently every time with every prospect you send a sample out? Absolutely. How long do you wait? Uh, we less than a week sometimes. Right. I want to make sure I call them up a lot of times and say, After they got get it. the product. Okay. Or sometimes they say, no, I haven't got it yet. Well, I shipped it, blah, 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 and we'll, we'll talk to you in another few days. Now, what sample-wise, what are you sending out? Uh, are you sending out of each flavor? A box of each flavor? Right, plus a little door rack. Shows them how they can display it. So you're sending them a 24 box of each flavor? That's correct. Five flavors, so, you know, they're getting... Is that 144 sticks or something? No, they're getting almost 500 sticks. And you're sending that out for free? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what does that cost you? Uh, 30 bucks. Yeah, about $30. 30 bucks. How many would you say you're sending out a week? Uh, new prospects lately, we haven't sent any out there. So does it get expensive? Uh, it's not because it's expensive, it's because you run out of... Uh, prospects to actually be able to get a hold of Okay, so you send it out, you follow up a week later, and let's say they still don't buy. Are you waiting for them to... Dis- they're just going to taste it and try it, that's it. So they're not going to put it and see if it sells? No, not at all. They're going to be talking to their people or the buying people. So the sales guy, show it to the truck drivers, whoever's going to be distributing it, saying, how do you think this product's going to do? And Okay, so you, you follow up with a call a week later, and then what? Do you follow up with another call? Yep, especially if if uh, the objections that they've presented, or a lot of times they had questions and they need more time with their people. So, yeah, there's many, many phone calls. One or two. Now, who's doing all the phone calls? I, I generally do that. When you call them, are you, are you pretty much saying the same thing every time to each prospect? I mean, do you have it scripted, or are you just... You want... I definitely don't say the same thing every time. It is not scripted. It depends upon the customer and... You know, because dealing with large corporations, we're dealing with mom-and-pop operations. Depending upon who you're dealing with, I will vary it. From what you're telling me, you're doing outbound telemarketing, and you're using the phone for follow-up. And this is the only way for follow-up right now? No, there are times when um, we are following up by visiting them, mm-hmm. actually going to the front door, walking in the front door and making an appointment to see them, and even cold calling, walking in just so we were in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. sent to the samples. So this is only after you've sent samples? Well, no, sometimes we're, well, when we're traveling on the road, we will stop and just see people, just a cold call. Mm-hmm. Hey, we find a new name right here. You're in a convenience store somewhere in Pennsylvania, and you run in there and you see a sandwich maker you haven't heard of before. You read their label, find out where they're at, and make a point of driving by their location and run in and hope you find them and many times I have. Okay. A lot of times well, the number of sales like that. And you got samples with them to drop off on the spot. Right on the spot. Okay, great. All right, let's move on. Past, present, and prospective customers. I want to ask you, how much does each customer, an average customer, spend now? Let's say you, out of those ten, you land three, you got three people who say, okay, let's do it. Can you give me some kind of quantitative idea of what an average customer will do? They've got the samples, and then let's say, let's give it a try. Tom, what are they going to do? Our, our largest customers spend about 200000 a year. 200000 a year. Uh-huh. And our smallest customers are probably in the neighborhood of uh, $5,000 a year. Say five, grand, yeah. five grand a year. Okay. You get the range between that. All right. And what about on an initial transaction? Initial transaction, we'll sell them as little as one case, which is, you know, $30. We try to get them to take eight cases. 
because we take the eight smaller cases, put them into a bigger box to save on shipping styrofoam around it because it's cheese and it has to be cool. Could this transaction be improved? Any ideas? Can you? Uh, well, yeah, we do. For example, we sell a chain. Many times we'll sell them a pallet to begin with. Mm-hmm. Depends upon the customer. If the guy has uh, is a small one-man route and uh, he has 200 customers, he's obviously going to get a small amount. If it's a convenience store chain like Super America, uh, they start out with uh, five locations. That pallet will go into all five locations. A pallet you're looking at is about uh, three, four thousand dollar sale, and if you get five locations, now it's a fifteen thousand dollar sale. Okay. Super so from your experience, if you can get them to put it in their stores, what's yeah. the experience been? You got them. Is there any attrition? Yes, there is. Uh, we've got the uh, competitor with the two ounce product that's taken away three, four customers in the last year. So what's your competitor? Uh, this case is called Cheese Pleaser. And that two ounce product is. Uh, cause you guys to come out with a two ounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, because what happens is the truck driver, who is not a salesman, who's just a delivery man, mm-hmm. says I get a, he gets a percentage many times of the take of what he sells. Sell a two ounce product. The sandwich truck driver out. So the sandwich guy is delivering his sandwiches. He delivers a box of our cheese. Mm-hmm. If he delivers that same box of cheese and it's two ounce product and the same number of sticks, he sold twice as much, made himself twice as money for doing the same exact work. So he's pushing both string cheese products? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All your drivers have multiple string, string cheese products? So they'll probably average three flavors. Yeah. They'll average probably string cheese, cheddar, and Colby Jack as our three largest flavors. Yeah, what kind of commission has he paid? A lot of those guys are... The mom and pop guys, you know, they're a little higher. You know, they're, they're working in the 25 or 30 range where uh, a bigger company's probably giving them 10%. Of the gross sale? Yep. That's a pretty hefty commission. Oh, yeah, yeah, the average DSD, which is direct store distributor, they work on 30 to 40%. That's the sandwich customer. Mm-hmm. Sandwich. Mm-hmm. So you really don't have any kind of uh, contact with this uh, driver, do you? Uh, Very limited. Yeah. To none. That's, that's handled by their the sandwich company owner and their sales force. Mm-hmm. They have their weekly meetings or whatever they have. Like with Made Right, although there is like the example of Made Right where, Al, how many times have you been out? I've been down there. I've met with uh, the drivers. I've driven with some of the drivers. Uh, uh, we have sales meetings where I meet in front of all the drivers and push the product. You know, there's. Do you I give them an incentive to push your cheese instead of the others? Well, no. When they have it, they don't have two. They only have one. Oh, they just have one. Mm-hmm. None of these will actually carry two. They're going to carry us or nobody. Now, what percentage of your business is uh, the driver responsible for getting the cheese on the counter? A good portion. Well, yeah, it is in the sandwich companies. Yeah. But it is, then it's completely different when you go to a convenience store. Okay, so with your sandwich companies, what percentage of your business is the sandwich company? Right now it is probably uh, 30%, 40%. Okay, and then give me the, since we're on it, what's the other breakdown? What percentage is the large uh, large chain account? In the large chains, uh, we're probably, well, we lost Super America last year to the two-ounce. Mm-hmm. We get them back, which I expect to, once we get the two-ounce, that'll be 200000 a year right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were our largest customer. And then you got the other, sam- I said sandwich company's 30 40%? Did I think you're a little low on that. It might be 50%. Mm-hmm. And then the rest are just small distributors. And convenience store chains. I mean, well, we don't have any large chains right now, do we, Al? 
Okay, so you got no large chains. So right now, so you got mostly your your sandwich and sandwich distributors, and then small distributors that are just anywhere from one man to they might have three, four, five guys. Uh, now your profit margins. Uh, where are you making more money on the sandwich guys or the small distributors? Or about the same? More probably on the sandwich on the small guys. Because why? Because why? Less cost and distribution in between. Mm-hmm. In other words, the the markup for the sandwich guy, because you're doing like with the E.B. Brown, a middleman that is limiting his uh, percentage of distribution to 5%, 10%. Distribution cost on a little guy is in the 25 or 30%. But our price difference is not real lot between any of them. Mm-hmm. It's not huge. It might range 10% at most. Okay. If we could give your the, these drivers an, a better incentive, which it sounds like you're in the process of doing it, you have a two-ounce cheese product, they can make just as much, that's going to hopefully bring up the sales because they're going to push that because they're going to put more money in their pocket right. o- over the other two ounce. They'll do twice as good. Well, there's only... There's none of our sandwich people right now that are handling two ounces except one, right, Al? We lost moms to the two ounces. That's correct. In Texas. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, all the rest of our sandwich people right now only have one ounce. Mm-hmm. What we will do is just re- go back and resell them now on the two ounces. Mm-hmm. Once we have it, we're going to go out and call on all that face to face. Okay, so that could be improved. And that's what you're working on, right? Correct. We're already doing that. We actually need more customers, i.e., more sandwich uh, customers. Right. Or uh, we need more convenience store chains, and that's probably our biggest focus. As well as we know that if we could somehow capture the interest of the schools nationwide, schools Mm -hmm. as well as all of the sports venues, all of the stadiums, Mm -hmm. uh, any place they play professional sports. Do you guys maintain a database of prospects and customers in a computer? We have all of our customers in the computer, yes. And one of our biggest databases for new customers is actually we have a directory of convenience stores Mm -hmm. and convenience store chains that we update every year. So these are prospects? Correct. How many customers, buying customers, do you have on your database right now? Uh, We have in the neighborhood of about 75. And all of those are active? Correct. Do you have probably a database of an additional 25 or 35 that are not active? Inactive. Were they once customers? Once, yes. What about, Alec, all the prospects you call on? Are those in a database? Uh, Yes. At what point do you give up on these guys? I mean... Yeah, I was going to say... We always keep calling them back. Call back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if it's only once every six months. Casey's, for example, convenience store chain, mm-hmm. I've been talking to the buyer every six months for the last five years. <laughs> okay. He has a competitor's product, and he says, I have no compelling reason to change. Price is about the same. Product's about the same. Back to the USP, what we talked about. He has no compelling reason to change. He has no reason. That's what we want to work on is right. give him a reason to buy. The two ounces is going to be one compelling reason for him to change. Okay. Something different now. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's going to add on. I think for all our convenience store chains, that will also make a difference because now rather than making uh, $0.25 cents on a sale, they can make $0.50 cents for doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Instead of a $0.59 cent retail, it will be a $0.99 or a $1.09 retail. And mm-hmm. the customer, the buying public will spend that $0.99 or a $1.09 just as easy as they will the 49 to $0.69 for one ounce. Okay. So, Alec... The people you're calling back and Tom, the people you're calling back, you're not doing any kind, you're not using any mail to contact these people. 
I mean, have you considered using the mail? We it's have, but we haven't got the right piece to put together. Yeah, you don't know what to say. That's correct. Okay. With a company, what, two years ago, Al, mm -hmm. with Richard Smith and uh, Y2 Marketing. Right. That was supposed to help us accomplish this. Yeah. And never, ever got it. You can never get a USB. You didn't know what your compelling reason to send them is. We got all kinds of information, mm -hmm. but we still never, ever got it totally put together. So you did work with uh, YK Marketing? Y2 yeah, Marketing. Yeah, out of Texas, yep. Tell me, tell me what happened. How did you originally hook up with those guys? How did I find them, Al? You heard them on the radio out of Minneapolis? That's right. I went to a, to a seminar. You went to one of the yep. seminars? Yeah. And they wanted, of course, that was to get you into the business to market Y2K Marketing. And that was like a $40,000 thing to get into their business and become a marketer for them. Right. But I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to interest in helping me market cheese just like I'm talking to you about. Right. So what did you do? You found, you found one of the... They had a guy here that came up and I said, listen, I'm not interested in paying you a lot of money to give me a bunch of stuff that doesn't work. I said, I'll give you small upfront money and I'll give you a commission of, of sales. And did you do that? I did that, but he never got any sales. So, all right. What kind he of... never got the thing finished, did he, Al? Never even finished it. How, so you met with him one time? No, oh, no, no, lots times. and lots of times, ten times. Yeah. And he, he could did surveys and everything else, but he never ever got it. Part of the reason I think is he wasn't making any money on his uh, on his whole business. Yeah. So don't you think, Al? And that he was ended part up of it. getting a job somewhere else. He got another job working for a computer company, and it just you know. Yeah. What kind of money did you put down with him? We put down six grand with him. What? Just uh, one time? Up front, yeah. And then you were going to pay him a percentage. Percentage yep. of increased sales. Yeah. Well, I'm more than happy to do that if you can increase sales. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What did you guys agree on percentage-wise? What did we were going to give him? I think it was uh, 3%, wasn't it, Al? Mm -hmm. So he had, you had no results whatsoever? Correct. What did he Did he implement anything for you? He did not. We, could, we can't hardly get a hold of him on the telephone. So will you pay your six grand? Are you like, come on, what's, you know, are you... That's right, that's right. right. And the yeah. guy disappeared on you? Uh, he's still there, but he, like you said, he's with this other company now, working for them almost 40 hours a week. What time does he have? Yeah. And you didn't ask for your money back? No, we didn't. Probably should have. Mm -hmm. I guess we're too easy going that way. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about um, alliance opportunities, okay? I want to look for relationships that you could potentially have with other businesses, particularly in your own database. Um so you already described once, but I'm going to ask you to do it again. Who are your customers? Go ahead, Al. Who are our customers? The number one customer, I think, is, uh, or I would consider to be our children, youngsters, teenagers, who know the product and know it well, and mothers that go into the convenience stores with their kids, or they go in there to get gas, they know the kids like it, and buy it for them. Have you guys seen any data or studies on the string cheese market, who the end user is? You know, hardcore, you know, factual data? Negative. I haven't. You've got convenience stores nationwide, and you've got the small distributors who are distributing to... Yeah, they're all convenience stores. You're national. Where, where would you say a majority of your customers are geographically? Are you spread out all over the country? All over, yeah. So you're not favoring your area in any... No, in fact, is we do less in my local area here than we do in other parts of the country. Who's the guy doing the buying? No, the sandwich customer, the people who distribute sandwiches, would be our number one industry group that we sell to. If you put all of our sandwich people together, they buy the most of any one group. So I'm clear. A sandwich distributor is a sandwich manufacturer who goes out and distributes their sandwiches for resale to... The convenience store. Convenience stores. Mm -hmm. 
Got it. You go down to your neighborhood 7-Eleven. You see them all wrapped up. That's right. Yep. How many of those? The Delhi Express. Yeah. Okay, Delhi Express is the largest nationwide. They're in 7-Eleven, aren't they? They are. They're, they're all nationwide. And that's one customer we have not sold to. Are uh, in there nationwide? Correct. So how many main, how many plants do they have? They're, I mean, they got to be all over the country, huh? This is right here in, in Minnesota, in my backyard. Their main one? Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're doing all their preparation and... and I and do not know that for a fact, but it wouldn't surprise me. And then they, they freeze them, and then they go nationwide from there. Oh, so they are freezing them. They're freezing them. Oh, yeah. Okay, so express freezes. Yep. All right, so this is the big boy. Now, what about the smaller ones? How many are there around the customers? We got the rest of the big ones already in the United States. How many are there out there of the smaller ones? Well, we know that there are three good, four good size companies out in the U.S. that make sandwiches. Mm-hmm. You know, if you'd be surprised how far these guys cover. And when I say good size, I mean they're they're running uh, forty to sixty trucks on the road. Uh, then there's a next step down, a smaller from ten to twenty five trucks. There's probably another six or eight in that in that neighborhood. So in that category, how many accounts are they distributing to? Each uh, truck represents roughly a hundred accounts. You could estimate each truck handles 100 uh, retail accounts. 100 to 125, yeah. Yep. Because they go there once a week. They're going once a week. Mm-hmm. Not anymore? Is that, I mean, is that... Yeah, yeah they're big stores. They go there twice a week. Even three times a week if they have a place that's really huge. The ones you just described had four, uh, 40 trucks, so you're looking at 4,000 uh, retail points. Exactly. And then one under that, 20 trucks, 2,000, about half that. And then what's under that? Uh, Yarnell's would probably be an example. Maybe he only has three, four trucks. Right. You said you've got a couple of the larger ones right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We have all the big ones. Yeah. i got a guy in Tennessee that's got 50, 60 trucks. got a guy in the West Coast that's got 40 trucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many uh, retail outlets would you guess your cheese is in right now? Retail well, outlets, probably half of those. Because you have to remember that a guy has a hundred accounts that he's calling on does not mean the cheese is in at a hundred places. Yeah, they get fifty percent coverage. Why isn't it in a hundred? Some of them are just kiosks, or smaller places that there's not enough space to put more products in. Because they have so to be refrigerated. Oh, they do have to be refrigerated. Yeah, oh, yeah. They have to be refrigerated. So are they always displayed in a refrigerated environment? Yes. Oh, they are. Yes. So they're not sitting right at the counter no, when they. No, they're always refrigerated. They're always refrigerated, so that's going to limit your uh, coverage. Exactly. Because there's a lot of places they're calling on that have no refrigeration. Right, or the refrigeration area, their C store is small. They might have a little bitty small refrigerator up on the counter with, you know, maybe 25 sandwiches in it. There's no place to put cheese. Okay. So these salesmen, these truck drivers, are delivery boys rather than salespeople. Mm -hmm. If if we could train them, which we've tried to do like with Made Right, uh, we've improved, but... You know, some of these guys are dumb as a box of rocks. You know. And what are you trying to? And when you're training them, what are you trying to get across to them? Tell them now, because you've done the most of it. Um, actually, ride with them, go in there, meet the manager, show them how to display the product, how to sell the product, explain to them how it's manufactured, so that they have some background and understanding what the product is, mm-hmm. and then showing them how to use, you know, the advertising that we provide for point of purchase with the box itself. We have a door rack that we invented to put it on and. 
a door rack that goes on the inside of the refrigerator. Uh-huh. Yep. So that when you walk by a cooler door, there you can see the cheese actually sitting in the window. Mm-hmm. And are they using it? Some are, some are not, depending upon. That's, uh, uh, Overall, it's been pretty good, though. It's been pretty good. I would say, I would say that's been a success. I mean, some of the places don't like it because you block the view of, you know, Ten rolls of Coca-Cola. Right. So your cheese could get lost in the uh, refrigerator. Yep. Because the people who know about it, they go there and buy it. Okay. If we can get in the shelf and see on the shelf, we sell, period. Right. Every store will sell a minimum of one box a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Then usually, uh, like a supermarket here in town, they'll sell six, seven, eight boxes a week. So it depends upon the store where it's displayed. But at the worst case scenario, they'll do a box to two boxes a week. So let's. You're focusing on a on a certain obvious market to you right now. Let's talk about what other markets. You you mentioned a little bit um, sporting events. What other markets have you, or do you suspect maybe great potential markets to get your school lunches has got to be a hot one. Okay. Know all about the product. Kids are our customers, so schools would be huge if we could just figure out a way to get into the schools. Besides the fact that it's nutritious and has a lot of beneficial things that need all the stuff. calcium in it. It's uh, good on protein, low on carbs, low on fat. It's just an excellent product for kids. For their teeth, you know what I mean? You get all kinds of ways you get access. Do you know if any of the schools are, are selling string cheese? Yeah, some schools already sell string cheese, yes. We have one college that we know it goes into. Kent State, you've probably heard of it, in Kent Ohio. State yeah. University in Ohio. Yeah. They're selling your string cheese? Yes. Yep. Are they moving a lot of it? They do very good. They do well, yeah. I mean, how many small accounts would equal the sales of an ideal supermarket account or a college like that? Let me ask you that. I don't know how you'd even figure that. Yeah. Because I you mean, see, we sell to the distributor who goes out and sells anywhere he wants to, i.e., any, you know, any convenience store or customer he comes across. So there's hardly any way to quantify that. Here's another bonus tip from Michael Sinoff, HardToFindSeminars.com. And it's a collection of recordings on marketing consulting. I had met a gentleman named Richard who is one of the world's best marketing consultants. And I have 12 hours of audio interviews all on the subject of marketing consulting. We also have downloads to over 23 reports on the subject of marketing. In this section of recordings, you will find a multitude of ideas that will give you very valuable ideas on how to build and grow your business and also how to teach others how to grow their business with simple, no-cost, low-cost techniques. If you go back to hardtofindseminars.com to the main page, you'll see across the top in white, Consulting Services. If you click on that page, there's a form that will take you into a private secret section of my site I've set up just for you with all these recordings. All you have to do is fill out your name and your information and you'll be whisked away to Consulting Secrets where we have thousands of dollars worth of free downloadable audio recordings in MP3 and Flash. Also the written printed transcripts and PDF that you can start learning from starting today. This information is hot. So get on over to hardtofindseminars.com. Check out Consulting Secrets.